Hello, good morning, and welcome. It's Friday, the 24th of July, 2020, and we're back with episode 159. We've got an incredible episode today with the president and COO himself of Lettertech, France Saint-Elemy. He's coming at us from Montreal, Quebec, Canada, and we've got an incredible conversation on all the really fantastic stuff that Lettertech are doing, which may indeed be genuinely unique with their platform of LiDAR kit that they've developed. The entire hardware and software stack, it's really incredible stuff. So we dived into a really fantastic conversation for nearly an hour. Before we get to that, though, just a few things. Uh, obviously, the friendly reminder that if you're a fan of this podcast, please don't forget to drop five stars on Apple Podcasts. As a practical matter, um, I think, and this kind of was inspired by the fact that I've, well, been dropping the ball the last couple episodes, or I should say the last couple of weeks, not keeping up my usual two episodes per week. But it is kind of that time of year uh, when we should be going on summer holiday, and uh, it is time for that break. And really, that's just a fancy excuse to kind of get myself off the hook, because I, I, I'm, just, I'm looking at my calendar, and there's just no possible way, there is no conceivable way that I can crank out two episodes per week for at least the next several weeks. So I think it's safe to say that with one possible exception, today's episode with France may indeed be the last episode until potentially the end of August-ish, give or take. So there is that. Anyway, um, we shall see. Obviously, as always, do be sure to follow me across all social media, including and especially at Autonomous Hogue on Twitter, uh, A-U-T-O-N-O-M-O-U-S-H-O-A-G. And of course, if you haven't yet done so, be sure to check out our new website at hogandco.com. We've also got the new H plus C blog, which is now live at hogandco.com slash blog. And we are just in the midst of launching a new Medium publication. So if you are an active reader on Medium, or indeed, most crucially, if you are an active writer on Medium, please be sure to check it out. Um, just first of all, follow me at Autonomous Hogue, and then we'll get connected, and then you can find the publication thereafter. Anyway, one last thing before diving in and getting started, uh, and I'm just going to say this once, but rather directly and bluntly, please, and this is especially to all my fellow Americans, wear a mask. Like, seriously? I mean, you don't have any problems with, like, restaurants and other institutions saying things like, you know, uh, shirt and shoes required, or no alcohol beyond this point. Uh, to the women in this country, you have no problems with beaches requiring you to wear a bikini top. Meanwhile, our friends in Europe are laughing at this ridiculous law. Um, so, look, I just don't get it. What is the big deal with wearing a mask? Even if you don't want to wear it for yourself, even if you think you don't need to wear it because you're somehow immune to this incredibly vicious, vicious virus, then at least be generous and do it for others. I mean, you're quite polite when driving down the road. Well, some of you anyway. You're polite when it comes to holding a door open for others. You respect the rules that say, you, you, you know, shoes and shirts required to eat at this restaurant or no alcohol beyond this point, which, again, Europeans laugh at us for this. Um, and yeah, generally speaking, I think you tend to respect the rules that say you've got to wear a top on the beach or on the street. Um, so, so I don't really get what the big deal is about not wearing a mask. Um, if you think it's not manly, you're ridiculous. My dad's a U.S. Marine of 82 years old, and he wears a mask because he thinks it's manly to wear a mask. So uh, just, yeah, man up. 
wear a mask. Stop being such a baby. Stop complaining. This is ridiculous. It's absolutely absurd. And I cannot wrap my head around it. Like, I, I just don't get it. And on a rather deeper note, when the hell did it ever become the case that politics somehow dictated science? It's got to be the other way around, folks. Science needs to dictate politics. I mean, how did science ever become politicized? This is just stupid. So please, just, just wear a mask. That's all. Anyway, without further more to say about that, episode 159, the France Saint-Alemy of LetterTech, coming at us from Montreal, Quebec, Canada, begins now. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. And uh, have a chance to talk with you. I feel like this this uh, this this conversation between us has been a long time coming. So real good of Melissa to uh, get it coordinated for us. But thanks very much for being here. Indeed. Yeah, thank you for having me. Delighted to be part of this. Yeah. Well, look, I tell you, it's exciting for me actually because I don't know if you got the memo, but I had the chance to meet with some of your team. Let's see, CES 2019. It turns out that there are some pretty good after parties <laughs> at CES. <laughs> and I uh, got to meet some of the team then. So, yeah, it's really great to kind of come full circle now and uh, chat with you today. So um, why don't we do this? Why don't we, uh, you know, kick it off? Obviously, I think one of the big fascinating things to understand is really the backstory of, of folks in this space. Obviously, the AV space generally is, as I've said many times, I think one of the most revolutionary step changes in the history of humanity, really. And um, so I'd love to hear a bit about your background and uh, kind of how you ended up here. Yeah, so um, um, I'm a, obviously an electrical engineer by <laughs> by trade. Uh, you know, my background personally has been in the semiconductor space in sensors uh, and, of course, uh, computer engineering, machine learning, computer vision. And uh, I joined LetterTech um, essentially at the uh, uh, in the fall in September 2017, but I had been working with LetterTech um, prior to that. My previous company, we invested in the company because we believed in the uh, in the potential of of the technology to help accelerate uh, um, AV and and, and uh, advanced uh, driver systems. And so when I left uh, integrated device technology. Um, I, you know, it made sense for me to really try to see how I, I can help the company. And uh, initially, it was supposed to be a, a board uh, position, but then it led to a, you know, it made sense for me to join the company on a permanent basis. Well, it's pretty convenient. I mean, given your background, I can't say I'm too surprised. I mean, that's that's very cool. Um, and it looks like since last I was introduced to members of your team, as I as I say, I mean, you guys have grown quite a bit. It looks like I pulled up your crunch base. I 
can never resist the urge to do so. Uh, my background in startup world, uh, first place I go is Crunchbase, obviously. But uh, yeah, you guys, uh, wow. I mean, yeah, you guys have grown a lot, right? Um, we, we have. We have. We've, yeah. um, you know, I mean, uh, fortunately, we uh, our strategy has always been about um, developing a platform, uh, a platform technology that would enable customers to develop and innovate on top of that platform. Uh, in fact, we're one of the very few companies in the industry that does that end-to-end platform enablement. And so what that means is um, essentially we can service a whole lot of customers in a whole lot of markets. And uh, that helps uh, you know, uh, the growth of, of the organization, crystallize the growth of the organization, but also gives us a lot of opportunities to look for. Yeah, so so let's talk about that platform because that was the first thing that really intrigued me. Um, you know, when I when I learned about you guys in 2019, uh, that indeed, rather than just building, say, a finished kit of lidar, my understanding is, yeah, it's really this platform. You have kind of the various components. You then enable other companies to build exactly what they need. Is that correct? That is correct. And um, so, you know, if uh, you think about uh, LetterTech, we are starting from a baseline of, um, you know, uh, um, uh, LiDAR. So we developed, uh, we've since the the beginning of the company, we've always done solid state LiDARs. And we made a pivot in 2015 to really uh, develop this this, uh, suite of SOCs combined with a software that uh, it would enable anyone to develop a solid-state LiDAR to address from short-range to very long-range uh, applications. And so that's always been the, the foundation of the company. But rather than having an architecture that was somewhat uh, very specific to a type of LiDAR, uh, we made it agnostic of the LiDAR construction. So whether that's mechanical, optical phase array, 1550, 905, uh, APD, non-APD, or uh, SPADs, um, different types of optics, uh, different types of receiver constructions. So we really kept it to a, to a maximum flexibility so that we'd enable a tier one or tier two uh, sensor maker to develop a LiDAR leveraging our signal acquisition and signal processing uh, techniques. And so that platform has evolved to a point where now we've added more recently sensor fusion, uh, perception and sensor fusion on top of that to really enable the customers to develop an end-to-end ADAS and AV solutions. Okay, cool. So, I mean, there's so many questions I have. I don't know where to start. I mean, so first of all, you kind of... uh already anticipated one of my questions. So you really do offer all the possibilities. I mean, even as between the two, as I say, flavors of LiDAR, 1550-905. So you you basically enable, you offer kind of the ingredients for whatever it is that people want to build, and then they can just sort of take what they want and build the optimal setup for their, for their own use. Is that it? Exactly. And, and in fact, we've been working with a number of customers who um, you know, the one size fits all does not really work in the sense where, sure. you know, if you if you build a black box and you have to, uh, um, for let's say a, a level three application or even a level four, it's a very different uh, sensor construction. It's a very different uh, sensor fusion uh, uh, need as well, because mm-hmm. depending on the use case, you may have different uh, uh, sensor constructions. You may have different sensor requirements. And so allowing the customer to actually 
picking what is required for the application and still give him the scalability because it's the same uh, SOC, it's the same uh, signal processing library, it's the same uh, uh, sensor fusion platform. So they don't have to redesign every single component from scratch. Mm -hmm. They can start with 80 uh, to 90% of the baseline and then uh, use focus really on what they're good at, which is uh, the autonomous uh, uh, drive system. I see. So just to be super clear then, this is strictly the hardware side, right? So it's not any of the back-end software kind of processing of or, or, or image recognition or data. Is that the case or is it indeed the entire stack? No, it's actually, we go from uh, uh, the SOCs, uh, the, the, uh, the, the yeah. semiconductor to do the uh, signal acquisition. We do signal processing on the software side that resides on a either an NVIDIA or Renesas processor. Mm -hmm. Then we also do the perception layer as well as the fusion stack. So we fuse. So it is all of it. Wow. Absolutely. Okay. Completely. Yes. Huh. Interesting. I mean, <laughs> and so you can think of us as, you know, the, the look at Mobileye. Mobileye comes from a computer vision perspective. So the camera right. base, we're coming yeah. from the LiDAR base. And so NVIDIA's moved, uh, sorry, um, um, Mobileye has moved up to providing, including the, the autonomous drive in a black box. So you have to use an, an, uh, uh, Intel or Mobileye hardware. Uh, in our case, we're saying with the exception of the SOC, you can use an NVIDIA processor, a Qualcomm processor, an, S, or an NXP or Renesas. And, and we can use any type of sensor uh, from anyone from, uh, you know, you can use, choose the LiDAR from us, but you can also choose anyone's LiDAR, anyone's radar or camera suite. So we give that flexibility because it's very important from, for a tier one or an OEM to have that flexibility. Uh, again, if you're in an S class, your sensor assembly will be very different. Your sensor suite may mm -hmm. be very different from an E-class to a C-class. So if you're mm -hmm. stuck with the same construction, you may be uh, limited in terms of how scale scalable your platform might be. And therefore, you'd have to redesign your software. Your, your verification routine has to change, all your tests, routines. And so it really adds cost and complexity in the end. Yeah, I mean, the versatility is astounding. Yeah, no, I, I understand it better now. Um, and with respect to, so I guess, and I guess one of the things that I had missed uh, a year ago was I didn't realize that all of your LIDAR is already solid state exclusively. Correct. We've never done anything but solid state. Yeah. Okay. So either I missed that or I just plain forgot, but in any event, that's, that's really uh, astonishing stuff. So, and that's also really good to hear because I feel like we've been promised for so long some, you know, I feel like it's every other month somebody is promising some um, consumer products with solid state LIDAR. I remember a couple of years ago, I guess it was uh, Innoviz and BMW were supposed to do a thing. But uh, what's, I mean, now that they're so scaled back, scaled down in size, I mean, is, is cost still much of an issue? Or since you guys have kind of taken this more um, component approach to everything, is that kind of helping to resolve the cost issues? Cost is always an issue when you're in the automotive uh, sector. But well, sure. <laughs> <laughs> the way to look at this is that, you know, today, the, if you uh, choose our SOC and our signal processing library um, uh, combined with our, our partners, ecosystem partners. So we have partnerships with ST Micro, Sony Optical, Osram, mm. uh, a number of, of different partners. 
they're all working towards the same target. So a sub $500 LIDAR. And so, so for us, cost is not an issue at this point because the industry needs sub 500 LIDAR for a long range LIDAR uh, in volume in the, auto, in the passenger car space. The issue is there isn't any volume yet. But, but as far as cost and performance, uh, we're there. Uh, where we see uh, cost and performance, it's not just the cost of the LiDAR. It's cost of the sensor suite and cost of the ADAS system. So if we address the environmental sensor suite that includes you know, the LiDAR as well as the perception and fusion stack. See, what happens is, again, in the industry, most fusion or, or perception stack are tied to a specific hardware which makes it very difficult for a tier one or an OEM designing to have the luxury of picking the best of breed or to address their cost requirements. So today we can actually offer with our sensor suite the performance of LiDAR using radar because of the sensor suite. We can also, because of our sensor suite, of a software stack, enable a very low-cost solution leveraging a low-cost LiDAR. So in other words, with a a LiDARTEC LiDAR combined with a LiDARTEC sensor fusion stack, you can actually get the performance of an extremely expensive LiDAR at the cost of a low-cost LiDAR. And the reason why we're able to do this is we're able to use unique signal processing techniques with unique upsampling technique using raw data fusing, using full waveform processing that enables us to actually have a sensor that actually, technically speaking, may have, may have less um, uh, hardware resolution, applying software on top of that to enable a lot more native or, or effective resolution. So if you can think, think of this as analog cameras versus digital cameras, Oh, that's exactly where I was going. <laughs> so, so with the advent of digital cameras, you've been able to do things that you couldn't think was possible with cameras. So fo- smartphones are perfect examples. If you see a professional uh, uh, analog camera versus a, an iPhone camera today, you wouldn't be able to distinguish. And it's all mm-hmm. done through software. And this sure. is the same thing that we are doing with our software suite. We're enabling uh, lower uh, uh, cost hardware to do high performance with software. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of that, I've, sorry, this is kind of an academic question, but I'm just curious. Mm-hmm. You said a thing, made me remember something. My understanding is that for computer vision solutions, like pure, just camera vision, um, resolution is really not that big of an issue on the flip side. My understanding, maybe I'm wrong, is that with LIDAR, um, generally speaking, resolution is kind of a big issue, however it's achieved, either through hardware or through software. Can you help me kind of understand that better and reconcile the differences between them? Like, if it's true that camera vision resolution is not such a critical thing, then why is it necessarily the case, or is it not the case, that for LiDAR it may be? So so this is the fallacy of our industry, because, you know, you know the industry started with very uh, hardware-centric specs, and, and typically analog LIDARs. So the future of LIDARs are digital. That's why people want to go to solid state because yeah. they recognize that the analog LIDARs, you know, while most industry are providing physical specs, but the, 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 to your point, the computer doesn't care about, you know, resolution that much. 
what the computer needs is basically it needs as as quickly as possible a digital capture of the scene and then where resolution comes into play is how far can you see and so that has to do with lasers optics it has to also do your signal processing technique so typically the way a mechanical scanner uh, lidar would work is you're after you know basically processing the best photon essentially that works in short range but once you start getting into long range the discriminating approach does not work as well because you know i mean again, the, the common industry theme is point cloud so you're trying to right. get as many points as possible and then from the points that get reflected back then you're trying to decide which photon is the best photon to process well it's so we do it in different ways we say let's flash the entire scene and let's yeah. basically digitize the entire scene without that filtering without processing the at the entrance so we process the full signal gap gets respect, uh, reflected and then on top of that we do raw data fusion so all the data that comes back from any of the sensors we take the raw signal So what happens is that within that signal there's so much information in the data that if you discriminate at the point level you're going to miss a lot of information. So that's why you need a lot of resolution. So if you're not processing points, you're processing scenes, then you don't need that much resolution because the computer is able to once you digitize to know exactly what that signal trace is. And and to me it's a perfect example you mentioned because computer vision doesn't care so much about resolution and we treat um the scene as uh, an image so we process pixel we do sub pixel processing exactly hmm. the same way really interesting wait so i'm just trying to picture that so sub pixel processing for but for the individual for the individual point in the point cloud or for the entire image as you say which is being yeah. processed in the whole the entire image we yeah. process we do sub pixel yeah. processing what that wow. means is we basically uh you know essentially uh, uh convert that signal in the digital domain I, I and, was just and gonna, then, yeah yeah and then we use the, the the digital techniques to be able to see more um with less basically i see i see interesting another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24/7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com/talktous. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC. Huh, okay. Okay, got it. All right, so so okay, so what do you think? I mean, Yeah, well, and let's face it too, if you if you end up taking like uh an infinitely dense point cloud of a scene anyway, logically it seems to me that it should be indistinguishable from a video feed anyway, right? Mm. I mean, so yeah. to the extent that you can you can manipulate the video feed in any in any way, then you should be able to do the same thing with a entire point cloud scene which is infinitely dense uh data, right? I mean, it's the same thing actually. Correct. And and yeah. obviously, you know, the reason why you haven't heard so much about LaterTech because we've been focused on developing 
uh, core technologies to enable a LIDAR maker to make a solid state LIDAR. And then now we've moved up to a point where we enable a system developer to create, you know, a low cost, high performance uh, uh, ADAS system or AD system, um, leveraging core components and software. But what's happening is that, you know, everyone's treated LIDAR as if it was some video processor. So if you go to every LIDAR booth, you see, what do you see? Sexy images. But then <laughs> this is true. <laughs> the problem is that you're you're processing great. You got great amplitude, and it's the resolution is fantastic. But it's at five hertz. What does that mm. do? Either, you know, yeah. it doesn't help you. Um, or the box is so big. It the cost of components was so huge. Um, so, but but even then, that's that's the beauty of of letter tech technology. Our core technology, whether it's the ISO C signal processing or the perception fusion stack can work with any of the sensors out there, any of the radars, any of the cameras out there. Yeah, I mean, that, that's huge. I mean, I don't want to <laughs> try to get anything out of it you can't discuss, but it seems to me then this would be obviously the optimal path for any of the large automotive companies to to, to choose, right? I mean, so, so just thinking about the raw kind of the, the the, I was going to say basic, bad word choice. <laughs> With respect to autonomous driving generally at any of the levels, regardless, I mean, that's why we've seen so much kind of uh, pairing up as between AV technology companies, obviously, and automotive companies, right? So Hyundai and Aptiv, Ford and Argo, and so on and so forth. Um, so I would see there's a similar parallel here, right? Where why would any large automotive company try to develop their own LiDAR or arguably maybe even worse yet to just buy another LiDAR kit that they then have to kind of modify and adapt or worse, build around if they can just get the components from you guys and build the optimal setup, probably for far less money and less complexity, I would imagine. Yeah, I think what's happening is that the the uh, it's the chicken and egg. So the well, tier right. ones, the tier ones today, they, they don't have any incentive to build a LiDAR because ultimately there's no automotive program that really integrates LIDARs today, or no one wants to commit to the volume until, you know, certain boxes are checked. One of the boxes, regulation. Yep. Another one is obviously volume production. Um, so which we are addressing today, we have partnerships with you know, people like Renaissance, who are building the SOC for us. We have partnership with, uh, um, you know, uh, Forestia Clarion, who are building sensors for us in case the customer needs sensors. So volume and scalability and repeatability is not an issue. And the other issue was, you know, functional safety, ISO 26262. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, basically... All our uh, SOC and software are uh, ACLB certified. And hmm. so, so the, all these issues we are addressing. But now, uh, you know, the tier ones uh, are waiting for the volume to be able to make up their minds uh, as to where they're going to build. So what's happening is that's why you have so many LiDAR startups. Because, you know, if the tier ones are not building any lidars, which ultimately they have to be in in the in the game for for this to scale, well, you've got a bunch of companies, lidar companies, trying to become tier ones or trying to take advantage of what we call this mobility play. 
Uh, mobility is all these people movers or goods movers who are deploying first with LiDAR in terms of any meaningful volume. You're talking about 5K, 10K units. But it's not a compelling business enough for tier ones to invest significant dollars to go after because it's so fragmented. Um, so, you know, like you have companies like Valeo, for example, they spent, you know, over a billion dollars trying to make LiDAR in any scalable volume and they're not generating income with it. Um, so, so I think what we are expecting to see, and I think COVID is the ultimate uh, corrector, uh, a lot of these startup companies are, are going to go away because most of them will run out of cash or they'll be consolidated out. And ultimately, you, you're starting to see regulations for autonomous driving or level three and above starting to come in. Germany just recently announced that they will allow full autonomous uh, vehicle testing on their roads and also develop regulation to around it. So uh, that's going to help uh, with the volume because then the car manufacturers have a real target and uh, the OEMs uh, will, will uh, develop specific projects around that. And I think the tier ones will start getting in. But in the meantime, there's really interesting business in, you know, autonomous delivery vehicle, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, smart cities, uh, you know, even the shuttles, even though there's no volume today because of COVID. But ultimately, you know, shared mobility is going to happen. And so these markets. Well, I mean, you don't have to convince me. That's certainly the focus of our firm is indeed the whole future mobility uh, landscape generally. Right. Everything from autonomous vehicles on one end down to the micromobility and, and delivery type solutions, but indeed even the very physical built environment itself and how best it needs to evolve and change to adapt and indeed be future-proofed for this, right? So Correct. Uh, and you asked a very interesting question earlier. Why, why wouldn't uh, all the industry go to, uh, to our, a model like us, uh, like what we are offering? Um, and there's two simple answers to that. Uh, the first answer is... Um, you know, uh, up until this point, we were not ready. Um, so now we have, re we are ready. We have the suite of SOCs. We have the signal processing libraries. We have the sensor fusion stack. And we've ported our solutions on NVIDIA, on Renesas. So we've got, you know, this multi-processor. And we also have this multi-OS strategy in place. So we're all ready. So that readiness was important. The second thing is we feel that we are five or six years ahead of the curve because it, had we just focused on building a LiDAR, everybody would know about us because we would have many LiDARs on many test cars out there. But then we would have burnt two, three hundred million dollars and we would have to go raise another two, three hundred million dollars just to build a factory. <laughs> and True. so what we've decided to focus on was building the platform, which took us about five years to do. And, and, and essentially, we are ahead of the volume because ultimately volume, like you rightly said, is going to be directly dependent on component readiness. And so we have worked very closely with our partners to develop the right components from the, the beam steering, from the optics, from the lasers, from the processors, to the signal acquisition front end, 
um, to make sure that we have component readiness. Everyone's got, um, you know, uh, uh, automotive grade quality. Everyone's got scale and everyone is ready for mass adoption. And I think we are somewhat ahead of the curve, but, but that's usually the case when you're trying to build these types of platforms. Uh, you know, NVIDIA is ahead of the autonomous marking, uh, driving market. They, they, they've got the platform ready before the volume is there. That's our job. Hey, as long as NVIDIA can empower my next computer build to run the new version of Flight Simulator 2020, I'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't built a computer in uh, 15 years, but I'm counting on them for that. <laughs> um, well, look, I'd love to take a, I, I could geek out about the technology forever, but I definitely, you, you kind of started to allude to uh, kind of acceptance generally and, and market uh, adoption rates and so forth. But first, I, I do have to, for a moment, just kind of put you on the spot and grant you at least, say, 20 seconds. What is your rebuttal, your thoughts generally, uh, if you feel like sharing? Obviously, the big elephant in the room, Elon and his obvious, uh, you know, shall we say, discontent with LiDAR. What is the kind of academic, non-markety type response for that? Well, I mean, I wouldn't say non-markety, but, but I think he's absolutely right. You do not need uh, LiDAR to develop an aut autonomous uh, vehicle. Uh, you, you, fact of the matter is you can use camera today and have a fully autonomous vehicle. The issue is safety. And so, you know, for safety, you need redundancy. And so uh, his thesis is you can you do it, you can have a very robust and safe product just with radar and cameras. And in our thesis, we believe that's a fallacy, but that's one that you can actually get away with if, if you know, it's your strategy that, that you, don't, you don't believe you need LiDAR to do it. Um, and so from our perspective, if you want to make a, a solution safe, you've got to have the three modalities. And the three highest resolution modalities there is out there are radar, camera, and um, uh, LiDAR. Now, that does not mean that you can't have, in certain use cases, a combination of radar and camera only. Uh, sorry, LiDAR and camera only. You could get away with radar. Uh, you could have, in an instance, LiDAR, camera, GPS, and an IMU, a perfectly safe solution, except that it won't be safe in all use cases, in all corner cases. And that's the strategic decision that Tesla has made, and I cannot blame them for it. Honestly speaking, who are they going to get a LiDAR from today that's, that's automotive grade, that's cost effective enough, and that is solid state? No one. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's so, interesting. Yeah. But ultimately, I do believe that uh, the overwhelming majority of the industry will evolve to LiDAR because the costs are, are, are dropping significantly. As you saw with our ecosystem partners, we have a number of partners that are working with us on the LiDAR engine platform that believe in the same as we do. And we have OEMs and tier ones and tier twos that are working with us on this as well. Mm -hmm. Well, look, so your comment, that, first of all, that's a great response. Thanks. I, and I wish you could have seen my face. I was very pleasantly surprised <laughs> uh, how, the, uh, how your reply began. But yeah, look, it makes perfectly good sense what you've said. I, I, I have to say I agree. Um, I, I, we, my wife and I did just pick up our Model Y uh, about a 
few, about a month ago. So obviously we are, you know, fingers crossed on the uh, camera vision approach that it continues to improve uh, to the necessary degree. But it does kind of lead to the next thing I wanted to chat with you about, which is kind of more on the, I mean, well, it's more of a regulatory angle, but with respect to consumers as a whole, right? This notion of, at the end of the day, it just comes down to what is safe enough, right? And I think, so So one of the things I've been suggesting for a while, uh, given my background as an attorney, obviously, is I care very much about that regulatory side of things. And uh, as, as I kind of alluded earlier, as an aviation geek as well, uh, you know, I think there's so many great lessons to be learned from, well, the aviation world, right? So thinking back to the whole Boeing versus Airbus thing at the time, the question was, you know, whether fly-by-wire and Airbus would be sufficiently good. And of course, the answer was simply, well, let's see if it's at least as good as the status quo, which would be Boeing. And so I was thinking just by analogy, at the end of the day, is it not the case that this shouldn't even matter what the technology is? And thinking from a consumer point of view, I can't really imagine anybody other than somebody who is deeply rooted in tech, who either will care about the difference or frankly, who should care about the difference, right? Nobody's going to care if it has LIDAR or computers, provided that they're both adequately safe, right? But that in turn yeah. is going to require some sort of, well, very rigid standards to validate that indeed the technology is safe enough. So so where do you stand with respect to, well, first of all, everything I just said, <laughs> sorry, that was a lot of stuff, um, but also with respect to, you know, from your point of view, are you generally a fan of kind of fast, seeing a fast track in I guess, regulation for these technologies, at least at some point, if not quite yet? You know, I, I think, you know, we, we have to be careful. Uh, while we, we want to see the technology uh, being pervasive, uh, you know, AVs being pervasive, and that's our goal. That's what we are working every day. But it has to be safe. It has to be safer than humans. There are too many lives that are, that are, that are uh, destroyed every day. We, we talk about death, but there are lives that are destroyed every day because of human error. Um, yeah. So we don't count how many people are handicapped or have lost a limb or or paralyzed uh, for for because of uh, car accidents. And so, you know, we need to be safer than humans. Otherwise, it will be a failure. That being said, you know, I'm a traditional automotive guy. Um, I like step function because it's the safest way to introduce technology to the masses. We do have the Silicon Valley approach where let's test it in open <laughs> beta field. test let's, everything. <laughs> exactly. Let the market, let's do an MVP, let the market, you yeah. know, that works for a video game. It works for a smartphone, but for a car, we have to be more sensible to that. So, you know, I do agree that going from level two to level three is is significant in terms of the testing, verification, the cases that you have to validate that that you're not blinded by your desire to get a product to market, but that you meet those regulatory or the standards that are necessary. How you do that, to me, that's a choice. That's an architectural decision. But the end result has to be the same. Uh, you know, so the, 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 the vehicle has to be functionally safe and it has to also be safer. If, it's, if, you're, if you're doing an autonomous function, it has to improve the driver's life and it also has to be safe. And so going uh, out there and saying, hey, you've got a level three and level four, 
car out there where it's got autonomous functions, it can't fail. It has to work. And in my mind, I think this, the practical way to do it is, is to do incremental steps. We can jump to level four and level five in geofenced areas, but in open mm-hmm. roads, step function is the more, the more uh, prudent, but also the, the, the more, <laughs> it guarantees that we'll get there. I mean, you know, it's, to me, it's, it's not a LIDAR versus uh, radar versus cameras. It's, it's, it's an architectural decision, and that decision may be de- decided on the, the use case you're trying to, or the problem you're trying to solve. So if you're in open road and you're doing, you know, basically traffic jam pilot, you're doing, you're doing highway pilot, your decision is different if you're doing park assist. Um, so, so from that standpoint, park assist, ah, you, can, you can get away with the cheapest op- option, and LiDAR really has no play here. If you're doing, you know, traffic jam assist, uh, you probably could get away on most days without a camera. But if you start doing traffic jam pilot, so that means that the, 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 when the pilot piece, the, the system takes over. So it has to have redundancy. It has to be fail safe. And the best approach is to, to have redundancy because you don't know you know, especially in places like in Canada, for example, when the temperature is going to change. I mean, if we could go to... <laughs> but it, but, but it go, does change. It gets warm sometimes. <laughs> that's right. It, exactly. <laughs> and it could go from warm to very rainy, you know, I mean, so so the, you have to have redundancy to enable uh, that. But then if you're in a geofenced area, for example, um, you know, uh, in my mind, you know, you're, you're, you can leapfrog. You can go to, to level four, level five, because you're now in a controlled environment. So, you know, you can, um, uh, you know, you, you can predict the environment. You can control the lighting environment. You can control how many, pass, uh, uh, um, how many cars are on the road. You can control how many uh, 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 vulnerable road users are there. The behavior is different, and I think it's an easier use case for autonomous driving. And then once you've done that, then you can move to open road because you've got enough data to help. Or the other way around, you can say, I've got level four functions that are enabled in the car, but in specific scenarios. So if I am on an autobahn, then you know I'm doing uh, exit to exit then it's like doing, you know, a sophisticated cruise control. So you've got, you know, the perfect conditions because you're, you know you're going to exit, you know, 150 miles from now and you let the car take over. And so that's a specific use case. And in my mind, that, that actually works because you can have now a front long-range LiDAR combined with radar and camera that gives you enough of a of a functioning system to actually do the use case but as far as doing open level five uh we need a lot of we need so it's a leap frog i mean it's a massive effort right and actually your comment 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. About geofencing, that, that's where I wanted to go with this. You mentioned geofencing a few times and, and level four. So let me just throw this out there. I, I mean, I, I think this is where you were going with this. Um, so I've been suggesting for a while that we don't really need to even think about or worry about level five, really, other than some sort of a marketing gimmick. Don't get me wrong. Uh, despite loving cars, and I actually do love driving, <laughs> um, but at the same time, I, I cannot wait for a truly fully level five future. But so what? My point is, wouldn't it just be better off both for the companies as well as indeed consumers? Um, and I'll explain why specifically in a moment. If we just focused on level four and treated these things like the, let's face it, they're basically like virtual trains. As I've often said, nobody complained that a train was bad because it could only go on one track, <laughs> you know? Um, so like, but, but, but if you treat these, if you treat level four cars, and if indeed that's the, that's kind of the, that, that's the goal for now. Isn't that just the, the I'm not going to say easier, but it's the less hugely challenging task, right? So for example, you could literally have completely dedicated level four vehicle lanes to, to keep them separate to human-driven cars, because that's one of the big questions that's always raised, right? And then from a consumer point of view, and one of the things we've been studying internally as well is this whole essence, the, the, the very um, issues surrounding consumer acceptance of autonomous cars, which to me, it seems that it would be a lot easier for the general populace to get around the, you know, the idea of getting onto a vehicle, which was indeed truly autonomous, but albeit only in certain geofenced areas, and may or may not even look like a car, but it certainly isn't called a car. That would be a lot easier, I think, than having a thing which looks like a conventional car, especially if it has a steering wheel, but no driver. I could imagine that would scare a lot of people. So isn't level four just like the easiest uh, or I should say the least challenging pursuit and indeed the most realistic? Yes. I mean, you know, yes uh, and no. So so yes, in the sense where from a consumer standpoint, uh, I fully agree with you in, in that sense because it gives a credible use case and also a safe use case that the humans or normal consumer can experience autonomous uh, vehicles. The problem you have is that's the no part is how does a car manufacturer then makes money because all this technology that's on there will the consumer be willing to pay their cars on average three to five thousand dollars more um, probably the answer is probably no and 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 i think that's the issue you've got to have a business model that supports that now it may make sense for you know expensive luxury cars because people want to pay more they're they're willing to pay more but everyone wants to have a a a you know a a, a solution uh that is cost efficient that the the general consumer can buy so that's why you need another business model to that, and that's the excitement of the industry is, is mobility as a service. 
Because if you combine that with mobility as a service, then, then the, the business case starts to work because the car manufacturers, if they're no longer in the business of just selling cars, they're in the business of moving people and goods around as well, then, then you can address the scale, you can address the use cases. But until you get to that point where the car manufacturers actually can make money on, on, this, on these features, it's very difficult. And so what is happening is that now the car manufacturers are realizing that they have no choice because people like Intel, people like Amazon, people like Uber and Lyft and, and the likes are diving all in. Uh, you could put you know Baidu into this. You could put a number of, of these companies in that category are moving into the mobility as a service. And the business model makes sense because, you know, it only takes you, you know, a, 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 a certain number of miles until the car starts to become profitable. And so the business model starts to make sense and the profit margins are so much higher than uh, metal bashing. And so at that point, I think you have to combine it with the business model. If the business model works, then yes. But if the business model doesn't work, you know, it will be kind of a feature that high-end cars will have. That's why the approach of Tesla is very intriguing to me because they're saying, look, if I make it cheap enough and then uh, all cars, it's no longer a hardware game. All cars are equipped with the same hardware and I just enable through software, you know, that functionality for anyone who wants to pay for it, then, then you know, that's you know, that can work. But then you're assuming that the hardware is cheap enough for that, you know, the car manufacturers can just equip, uh, you know, with the sensor suite, just equip their cars base. Today, we're not there. But level four is going to happen. It's going to happen sooner than people ex- uh, think. Um, and and I think the, dr- the the main driver is actually not the consumer. It's the business model. Just, just to be clear that I understand, I mean, you're suggesting that the problem with pursuing only a level four future for the short term, as I suggested, to try to fast track both testing, but also actual consumer deployment, um, your concern is that the business model in that case wouldn't be sufficient because level four would in fact be too limiting of a, of a thing and that we really do need that that business model really does require a full level five future? Yeah, if you're going to do mobility as a service, uh-huh. but you still have to have pay an right. expensive tech drive tech to be on the side, you know, it's just it's difficult, right? Hmm. But if you can do both, right? If you can do now level five in geofenced areas, so for instance, reserve lanes, uh, you know, in my city in Montreal, we have dedicated bus lanes, for example. Well, so that was I my analogy be- always here too. Exactly, if you use yeah. dedicated, exactly. So, so then you'd have a business model where you can move things and goods um, where, you know, you could have commercial vehicles as well as, you know, people movers as well as, you know, goods movers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in that case, what is, what is your, uh, what is your timeline? I mean, you, you rather optimistically suggested that you, you, you think level four will kind of be out there a bit sooner than anticipated. Um, but I think also it sounds like you suggest you would assume that level five will take perhaps even longer still than people tend to start to believe now. In, in open roads, it will be very, very a long time before we see it. Uh, 
uh, a full level five. We're going to see level four because the technology is, is there. Right. The uh, cost and, and quality and, and, and automotive line production isn't there for all the suites, uh, the, the, the sensor suites to be uh, available, but we're very near. And, and companies, uh, car manufacturers, as well as tier ones are gearing up for that. And, uh, you know, so, so we expect in our mind, you know, level four, uh, you know, around uh, level three and level four as well, uh, around the uh, early deployments will be around 2025 in our, in our view. Mm-hmm. Sounds and, about right. Uh, yeah. and, and, and we also see that uh, it will be geographic dependent, um, contrary to where people think North America may be slowest. Um, Again, just because uh, we, we don't have our acts together politically. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, in Germany, typical Germans, they've been studying this for <laughs> a decade, and now they're ready to put regulations around it. In well, well, that's China, funny, though. My two, found, my two partners actually are German, and, and, <laughs> and, and actually that's why they're so on board with all this. But, I, but, but on the flip side to what you said, I mean, Germans generally, as a culture, aren't such a fan of... And indeed, from a regulatory point of view, Tesla, for instance, can't do half of what it can do here in the States because it's been it's not allowed to. Right. So, yes, yes, it's stricter. But yeah, because it's it's too loose. What is autopilot? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, should should I should should my uh, my car, uh, my uh, traffic jam assist be called car pilot? Yeah, I can call it autopilot. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's too loose. So the, in Germany, they're going to put a framework around what is autopilot. And, and then that's going to be, and that's been driven by the car manufacturers there, the consortium of OEMs and, and tier ones. And, and then everyone's going to follow the same model. And so, yeah, you're right. Germans love to drive. But I can tell you, you know, some, a lot of Germans on autobahns would love to have their, that hour you know, where they know they're just doing highways and that they would love to take a break and, and not absolutely do emails. No, yeah, no, it's true. And having driven a lot on the Autobahn throughout Germany, I have to say in many ways, despite the higher speeds, I would actually argue that getting a competent autonomous system to work on German freeways would be less challenging, if only because there's such strict driving regulations already and so strictly enforced, right? Like I know, for instance, even the uh, Mercedes S-Class and other vehicles, they, if they're set to uh, adaptive cruise control, they will not pass a car on the right because, of course, nope. logically <laughs> in Germany, you shouldn't pass on the right. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah. And so, so I think there, there um, it will be regulated and the regulation is going to speed up development and deployment. In China, they're already, you know, preparing for level four and, and even thinking about putting dedicated highways for level five vehicles because they want to leapfrog everyone. And so, right. you know, I yep. do think that in this case, we might have a lot of technology in North America, uh, but and uh, regulations, that's not a, yeah. regulations because we're so fragmented when it comes to regulations. Well, so this goes back to my point earlier, right? Which I was kind of getting at, which is that ironically, for you know, ordinarily as a, as a as a, you know, I think it's very easy to say that regulation kind of gets in the way and kind of impedes things. But in this case, so so here's what I've been saying, right? Um, my 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 thought has been, 
that 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 for all testing and deployment of autonomous vehicles levels one, two, and three, well, let's say two and three, um, th this can be kind of little, you know, it doesn't need to be so strict. And indeed, it should be left up to this, at least here in the U.S., to the individual states, municipalities, whatever. But my, my suggestion has been that for level four and level five, at that point, now you're going to need to have some federal standards. That's kind of my approach. And to your point, I think, if I understood correctly, ironically, the absence of those standards, like Germany is trying to do in, in anticipation, like China is trying to do, those will eventually impede deployment, if only because nobody really knows what's going to fly, not to mention. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So. And, and, and to me, you know, what used to be an advantage becomes a disadvantage because yeah. then, you know, if, if you're, you, if you're uh, um, Mercedes, you do a car only with features that cost you so much money that you can only drive in Arizona and California. No, I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's okay for park assist, but, you know, for anything else, no, it doesn't work. And so I think we saw it, you know, um, we, we, we can see the early signs of, of things not working out when you started seeing, you know, Uber and Waymo deploying in some states and not deploying in other states. It's very costly for them. And the problem is, if you think about it, wouldn't that make sense if they're going testing that they would test in extremes? So testing yeah. extreme heat and extreme cold. But then they have to do them separately because the states where it's cold don't have regulations to enable testing. So it's it impedes <laughs> business. I mean, <laughs> it impedes the business. It slows down development. Yeah, no, it's true. Uh, it is a really interesting time. I mean, really, if, I've, I've often made a very silly kind of analogy. You know, it's sort of like if, if I don't know, the first uh, iPhones or Android phones came out and for some reason there was some weird regulatory gap which sort of disallowed, say, the App Store or for whatever reason hmm. you couldn't. It's weird, right? Because we've got all this technology, but indeed, strangely enough, it's advanced much faster than any of the regulatory framework could keep up. Um, yes. It's strange. I can't really think of another time where this has occurred. At least that's, that's not obviously coming to mind. In fact, we've been talking about, you know, uh, uh, autonomous vehicles um, before we said, you know, 5G, right? Before we even talked oh, yeah. about 5G, we were sure. thinking 5G is, yeah, by the time 5G comes, imagine what we can do with autonomous driving. Because <laughs> the assumption was, was going, was that <laughs> autonomous driving would come sooner. And it's not just a question of technology, you know, uh, because the technology, yes, yeah, there was some gaps, but, but it was a question of really if uh, the regulatory framework was in place yeah. and if the industry had uh, enough impetus to really drive on spe specifications and converge on specifications, we would have had uh, AV, AVs out there for sure without a problem. You know, but you got you got to have the basic conditions in place. Um, people say, well, sensors were not there. Sensors were not there because there was no volume. I can tell you that today uh, making a low cost LiDAR sensor is not an issue. Making a LiDAR sensor that can meet the performance is not an issue. What is the issue is, you know, making it, uh, you know, at the cost that meets the automotive grade standards at the volume requirements 
requires a different approach. And up until now, it has only been a mechanical scanning approach. And uh, that's, mm-hmm. that's difficult. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I hear you. Well, well, look, Franz, with respect for your time, I, I see we're at the top of the hour. I mean, this has been really a, just a fantastic conversation. As I say, it's really great to finally connect with you after, you know, meeting at least some of your team a while back. So uh, I think it's super cool what you guys are doing. Um, I would obviously be more than happy to welcome you back on uh, in a few months or whenever you've, you feel like it really to share anything new, any cool announcements you'd like to make. So uh, in the meantime, obviously, please feel free to keep in touch and uh, just reach out whenever you'd like. Awesome. Well, thank you, Mark, for having me. This was uh, uh, delightful. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Well, take care and thanks very much and best of luck with uh, all the awesome work you guys are doing. Thank you. Alrighty. Bye-bye. All right. Well, that is a wrap for today. And indeed, well, I was going to say this week, but indeed quite possibly for the rest of the summer, which means at least through the end of August. Again, I don't know. There is a possibility. There might be one final episode, depending on several different factors and issues. Uh, If there is, obviously, uh, I'll I'll announce it on Twitter and on LinkedIn. So again, if you're not following me yet on Twitter at Autonomous Hogue, please do. If we're not yet connected on LinkedIn, please do. But uh, in any event, thank you as always so much for listening. Until we meet again, take care, stay well, be safe, wear a mask. Bye-bye.